Attention, attention, my black brothers. What I want y'all to do right now is take out the do-rag. The silky ties down. I want to see the waves glistening. If you got nappy hair, pick it. Don't let nobody discourage you. Ariel. All right, y'all, it is Black History Month. It is the best. Well, I don't. Okay, not the best month. Yeah, call it the best month. (laughs) I celebrate Black History Month every single day I wake up. But what is one thing y'all are looking forward to through this month or something that y'all not going to play with during this time? Because I already know people have been pushing my buttons specifically at work. So what's one thing y'all not having for this? Oh, wow. Leek, you can go first. Um, honestly, I think I'm glad I'm older because, like, I'm not saying I never took it serious, but, like, I take it more serious, um, you know, so I at least try to learn a little bit more uh, outside of, like, the regular Black history, you know, so I try to just, I'm very, uh, I'm looking forward to, you know, learning outside of what I know this month, more than I've, I've learned before, so. Fair political, Come on, politically correct. My ass don't know. <laughs> like, I didn't take it serious. <laughs> I didn't. I was like, oh, slavery. I will take reparations, though. I know that's right. I want those now. I wanted them last year. I feel like we were talking about them a lot lately. Like, I want yeah. them yesterday. I, I found out that uh, Jewish kids have the opportunity to go back to Jerusalem. There's, like, a whole thing in place for them to go their pay, expenses paid. Like, reparations for the Holocaust. All expenses is paid for. All expenses paid. Well, unfortunately, they can't do that with us because... To make the pilgrimage. We were taken from all over the... We were taken from all over Africa or even other places, so... They'd have to give me a free uh, 23andMe first and then pay for my (laughs) trip back to whatever countries in Africa (laughs) I'm from, from, I'm sure. Whatever you have the most percentage of. They're like, we'll let you go. They're free of charge. No, they can finance every single one of them. (laughs) Wouldn't have to if they had left me be. Wouldn't have to do that at all. True. One thing I am not um, dealing with or tolerating during this month is just like white explaining. I, I I just don't have the energy for white people to try to feel like they have to talk over me or feel like they have to speak for me in certain spaces, i.e. work. I'm just not having it like this time. I'm not. I'm also not educating people on black blackness. On I'm just not. It's not I a conversation. Shit, no fucking way. <laughs> I'm not going. To, I'm not doing it. I don't know. So. The last time I told myself I was going to do that, I think I was in college. It had gotten to be like 2016. And I said, I'm not arguing with you motherfuckers about this anymore. I'm not opening my mouth and wasting my breath and energy to tell y'all something I've been saying for the last four years. And that like hundreds of thousands of other black people and other people of color have tried to tell y'all. I'm not doing none of that. So I'm so glad. I'm happy for you. I'm clapping (laughs) because that's a great place to be in. There's too much info out there, man. I just have to Google it. If, if if you don't if you, if it's something that, it's not something that you can Google, just don't worry about it. Just be a fly on the wall. Oh my if god, you, there are books. I mean, I don't know if there's like books about like our slang and vernacular. No, the thing is, first of all, that's not your business, no way. So if you're not already privy to it, it literally <laughs> has nothing to do with you. But you if there's some information you need that you would you think you can get it from me, trust and believe. There's a book you can read, a movie you can watch. Um, a Google you can type into, so many search engines. You don't even have to use Google. Twitter is like, people are giving you free information every day straight from the fucking cow's udders, okay? Black Twitter, I respect that. (laughs) I go to Black Twitter for everything. I'm like, what is going on? What is happening? But 
What is up, everybody? It is your boy, Lord Devry. And I'm Derwin King. And welcome back to another episode, y'all, of That Black Boy Joy, where we create a space where Black boys can be themselves and... So much more. Y'all, we have another guest, like we always do. This week, we have... Oh, okay, should I just go by the DJ name? Let me just... We can say that? Okay. <laughs> we have our... I'm going to just say this. We have the DJ Leaks. Leak, leak, boom. Not me. Nini. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go by the government. Nini. That's the thing. I, my Nate thing is to go by the government. But Lee in the building, a Midwest DJ. He also is a mental health advocate with the, I want to say, organization Just Breathe. And first of all, how are you doing? What's up? What's going on? Man, I'm, uh, I'm great, man. It's, it's been a great year already. I'm blessed. Just uh, feeling really good about this year. A lot of mental changes, a lot of uh, you know shifts in my mind. So feeling good, man. I'm happy to be here. I'm excited. Yes, and for y'all who do not know, I know him through his sister uh, Mimi. Like she was. I was literally <laughs> just about to open my mouth. Like so him. Mimi, college friend, best friend, all that. Uh, cross paths. Told me, to, you know, we. I wanted to have you on the show, and I was like, "How do we get him?" She was like, "Just hit him up." I was like, okay, that's all I gotta do. She was like, yeah, you don't, don't, you don't have to go through me. You don't have to do nothing. <laughs> Just hit him up. I was like, right, okay. Bada bing, bada boo. Hit you up. We have you here. Thank you so much for being a guest uh, with us this episode. What are you about to say, Dan? It's the way that you guys have the same eyes for me. Like I'm genuinely like, wow, this is. So it funny. is. It's they are they are twins. Oh my <laughs> sister and I. Yes. Not us. I was like, yes. <laughs> not looking my screen like. I'm like I'm like, we both got glasses on. I'm like, hey, Mimi. We <laughs> did that a lot. And like, we always be like, do we look alike? And it's like, yes. The funny thing is, like, my sister and I, we have the same mannerisms. And it's crazy. That is the how, same thing. How, what's the age difference? Uh, she's 95. I'm 93. But she's February. I'm June. So it's like a year change. Kind of. okay. You could have said, you, so you're 28. I really would have given y'all 20. Yeah, in June, I'll be 28. So you could have said 28 and 25. I was over here like, I was like 95, not, I don't know that. If you turn 25, you forget how old you are. Yeah. Right, that's true because I forgot today. I go by like the increments. I was like, am I 25 still? And I was like, I don't know. What did I turn last year? It's like 25, it's like 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 30. Dead. 40. But uh, first of all, we always ask our guests uh, this question. So we're going to, of course, ask you, but what does Black Boy Joy uh, mean to you, Leek? I think it definitely has a different connotation in today's, today's time. I think, man, just ultimately just, you know, just being you and just being expressive, creative, and not worrying about, you know, am I, am I being Black enough or... Am I acting, you know, white or, you know, just are people judging me? I think it's just, it's really just ultimately being you in, in your blackness. You know, I think we used to be afraid and I, I don't want to speak for everyone, but like, you know, you used to be afraid of who you are because as a black man, there's such a stigma of what it's supposed to be like to be, you know, a black man in America. And mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, that, that kind of stigma is, is I don't want to say it's out the window, but like you can't really just categorize us anymore. You know, we all got, we got so much flavor and so much style in so many different ways. You know, it just, you can't even like box us in, you know? So I think 
just, you know, just being you, being creative and, uh, you know, just being free and whatever it is that you want to do and who you want to be. So. Thank you. Listen, we want, we always ask people that because people have so many different black people or just people in general have so many different uh, ways that they express their black boy joy. And just to reiterate that black boy joy looks like something across all, looks different across all spectrums. So we appreciate that. But uh, first of all, I just also want to say thank you again, also for creating a platform where you talk about mental health and your community. This is why we want you on the show. Of course, we want to talk about who you are as a person, because of course, we want our listeners to know who you are. But we also want to talk about the conversation of the importance of mental health, specifically with Black men or just people in our community, um, because it is something I think that is affecting us daily, and it's not always talked about in our community. So I really do um, want to say thank you for coming onto our platform so that we can have that conversation. And of course, have conversations about whatever we bring up, whatever we want to talk about. That's what we do, but we do want to have that uh, conversation about um, mental health. But of course, we're going to go into our Black Boy Joy Spotlight, like I'm we so always excited. do. <laughs> do you know who this person is? I actually, I mean, because we share the same birth name, um, or at least first name, um, okay. I do. Actually, he was the president of Impulse DC at some point, um, shortly oh. before I joined. Yeah, so I, I keep like special tabs on on him. Um, we've communicated before, so I think that's right. so small to say, but like we have. <laughs> I mean, listen, you, you listen. You know who the person is. I'm glad you know. I, I didn't do. tell you who it is, so it was like I, random. Huge surprise to me. I was like, whoa, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> but this week's uh, Black Boy Joy Spotlight will be Devin Barrington Ward. He is a queer community organizer. Sorry for my pronouns. If it is not he, I do apologize for that. But they are, so I can just be correct. They are a queer community organizer uh, with the managing director of the Black Futuristic Group and former GA, so Georgia State Senate candidate. This is a little bit more about uh, Black Futuristic Group. That is a um, so social justice innovation firm using public policy, community, uh, community organization, media engagement, and political education as tools to build, re build, reimagine equitable and liberated Black futures in our lifetime. So I got that from the website. So that's why I was <laughs> stumbling. So I wanted to just like hey, just straight say from that. The source. Love to see straight it. Straight from the source. But also Devin, he also um, has had a lot of national media outlets recognize him from the Washington Post, Washington Blade, uh, Newsweek, NPR Atlanta, and TV One. His passion for building Black futures has earned him top honors and recognition from the Gentleman's Foundation, DC Black, DC Black Pride, uh, DC Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton, and so many other people. So we wanted to just give him his kudos. We love seeing people in our community, Black men specifically, uh, leading change and leading conversations about what the future looks like for us. So shout out to him for that amazing Can people work. look out for him in the future because that one is going places, okay? Going, going, going. Like, I mean, so so young now, so I can only imagine um, how profound and impactful um, his career, his political career specifically, will um, be in the next 20 years almost yeah. at 25 but let's just put it at 20 oh to see again I, I you know what let me not lie okay but he's definitely not 40 <laughs> <laughs> all right we will circle back you all can do the research on devin barrington ward yourself to see how old he is but also all the amazing work that he's doing in the community and now we are going to get into our hot topics for the week and my first one um 
is because I love love movies and like TV shows. Um, after this year has like went by with all these amazing shows, the Golden Globe, the Golden Globes yet again is not giving black people, black shows, black actors and things their recognition. Um, Lovecraft Country, I May Destroy You, um, The Good Lord, Word, and Netflix, Bridgerton all have not got um, any like nominations in the 78th um, Golden Globes. I don't know nothing about whether Bridgerton is like um, qualified, not in terms of quality, but in terms of like the timeline. So I won't speak on it one way or another, mm-hmm. but I know good and goddamn well that I made destroy you should have been right up in there. And we have a problem for that because not only was that show written and directed very well, but the performances were stellar and yeah. um, Michaela Cole herself deserves all the praise for that. I'm I'm at a point now where I'm no longer like getting frustrated with these um award ceremonies for not giving um black and brown people their just at this point because I expect it from them. Um but I think we can't keep having this conversation every year. We're going to have yeah. to start switching it up. Like we're going to have to start uh we we talk every year about like our own awards and putting weight into like NAACP ones. And I totally understand why people aren't pro NAACP as much as, you know, we would ideally, um, because it's not necessarily always as inclusive as we'd like it to be, mm-hmm. um, including the BET awards. Um, so I'm hoping that we take this time now seeing something that it may, like I may destroy you is undeniably great. So I'm yeah. hoping we take this information and we actually make some tangible steps toward like delegitimizing, um, legitimizing, well, <laughs> delegitimizing um, the Golden Globes or just other or other racist um, snubs, because I just don't want to be in this spot for the next like five to 10 years where we're having this conversation. Oscar so white, Golden Globes so racist or whatever, like every fucking year. Are we really going to just keep doing this? Yeah, same with Lovecraft Country. Absolutely loved the uh, risk that the show t- uh, had taken with its plot. It's also its character build development and things of that nature. Also, the actors and actresses in that show were absolutely amazing. Um, and it was something that we had not seen. Um, so I'm kind of like, but this also, like, like we said last year, this goes off of the whole conversation and criticism that we had last year, that there was not that many Black projects from non-white perspectives in the Golden Globes. So it goes to show, like even when we, like you said, Devin, even when we create these platforms where we want to highlight our voices, is it enough, right? And I'm not saying we need to always infiltrate these white spaces, even though we need to, uh, but I think that we can't rely on white people to give us the proper voice, right? We can't really rely on that because we, uh, we've seen numerous times that if we give them the tools, we give them the resource, they will, they will exploit our trauma. Yeah. Trauma is the only thing that they would like to have us be, and that's not who we are. So just wanted to, again, talk about, you know, the Golden Globes, how trash they are with not giving these amazing shows um, their due yeah. diligence. I always feel like there's two barriers to break down with that. Cause like, like you said, even if we were to organize our own thing, within our community, like, we still hate so much. Mm-hmm. Like, there's just so much, like, tension sometimes. And, like, you know, we like to decipher like what's cool and what's not still so much, you know, mm-hmm. that'd be like my only fear is like, if we do get it, are we going to still hold ourselves back, you know, from giving the respect that's deserved? I'm not saying like, I think we would, but hopefully, you know, like we wouldn't, you know, but mm-hmm. yeah, we definitely need to stop like 
thinking that the glow, like the Golden Globes or the Academy, like is the only thing that can give us, you know, uh, the recognition it deserves. You right. know, at the end of the day, like it's it's just a bunch of people that really don't mean that much casting a vote. You know, so. I think it's important that we also give people their flowers in different ways. And this this isn't to try to say that like awards don't mean anything, but right. But like there are 365 days in a year um, and say comes out as I may destroy you. That was like earlier in 2020. So that was the entirety of the last half of 2020 and some change for everyone to consistently give that production its its flowers. I mean, I talked about it until the date was like done. Yeah. Um, and I just <clears throat> feel like it is our job as um, black media outlets, as black publications, as um, people who support black art to at every opportunity to give praise to those individuals um, so that it doesn't, so not, we're not waiting around for them to be recognized by things like the Golden Globes. And then we're completely befuddled and disappointed that they don't get their flowers when they really could have been receiving just even the little flowers throughout the way, you know? Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree with you saying these black publications, black media outlets should be definitely um, talking about it more and giving a praise and just like being a, a voice. So I appreciate that. And then going into our next conversation, Jeff Bezos has stepped down from Amazon. I am about, my package is about to never come now. I'm just say that. <laughs> I believe that he was the hardest working person under Amazon. I feel like he individually delivered my packages for me. He expedited them when I need them. One thing I can say about Amazon, y'all too, is Amazon, when they say they're delivering something to you on time, it comes two days before that. I've always had that happen. I know it's going to come. If I order it on Friday, it probably is going to come Saturday, if Monday. But Jeff Bezos is stepping down. And I'm just like, wow, like, what? <laughs> what is going to happen to these packages now, y'all? Goddamn thing. <laughs> changing around Amazon. I do have a suspicion. I, I saw somebody tweet this and I was like, okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one. I was like, obviously, either something happened or something is about to happen because why else? I mean, they were like, oh, he wants to focus his time and energy on other things. I'm like, you know, Jeff Bezos has been like, a billionaire for quite some time now and i'm pretty certain he's had a lot of time to sit back and do something else so something is either has happened or is about to be unearthed um and i'm really interested to see where this goes um over the next couple of months or however long it takes for that to be exposed i mean granted we often as human beings like to think that there's something deeper than there is often there, is. <laughs> there often is infidelity but We'll see. Fraud. <laughs> Tax evasion. I, I'm just <laughs> right. So I Exploitation. Who knows? Well, we know that's there's plenty of that. White people giving up power to me sounds just unrealistic. No, because they like, never would. What'd you say? So do that. No sense. Yeah. So I'm like, it, y'all don't, one thing what one thing I say is white people they love power. So when they let go of that, it is, has to be either somebody made them do it yeah. or there's something that may come out of the work that it'd rather not be so mainstream if he's the face of an organization. Something he's getting in front of. He's right. getting in front of something or doing damage right. control for something else. I don't want to um, wish any wrong on him. I hope it's that him, he just want to take a mental, but I know white people. They <laughs> 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 just want to just uh, relinquishing power just is something that's tactical. So. Yeah. We're going to stay up to date with that. Uh, but does anybody else have hot topics they want to talk about, discuss before we go right into the meat and potatoes? I feel like something happened. Um, 
you know, in the last 24 hours that was really worth noting. I, I just want to say that I have PTSD, post uh, stress, what it, or post traumatic stress. No, so. post Trump stress. Because <laughs> I'll, be like, I'll be sitting in my uh, apartment like, yo, I have not heard anything crazy in a week. What yep. is going on? Like, yep, yeah, I'm yeah. expecting something bad to happen or something crazy to be said. And I'm like, oh, Biden's the president. Like, I forgot. Like, I see Biden on Twitter, like, President Biden. I'm like, President Biden. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> he cleaned up the dirty work. He's literally cleaning up all these orange Cheeto crumbs right now. So we don't know what Biden is doing because he's in the office literally like staging it. Like he's like, I got to do all this, this, this buffoonery, get the, all this out the way. I just need to just focus on that. But Trump, I think he still is in the process of getting impeached. I think they actually want him to stay in trial. They, they want him um, wanted him to testify and he said he's not going. <laughs> so I, I have been, today I told myself verbatim, um, there's really nothing you can do about Donald Trump being quiet right now and the possibility of him, you know, popping up with some bullshit. So you just need to like breathe and just wait for the shit to happen because um, it, I did get a little weary about not seeing him, like about not being able to put fingers on where he, like a kid, like, a little oh, too I can't quiet. yeah, a little too quiet. I can't see you. I can't hear what's going when on. You're bad, when you're, you have bad kids, and the, and it's quiet in the house. You like somebody no, did. <laughs> <laughs> somebody has strangled the other person. Somebody is in the dryer. It's too quiet. It is too quiet. You got it. We do that with Trump. Even if we can't, we can't check what he's doing though now because you know Twitter got deactivated. Right. Ooh. Right. So it's you just gotta hope. So, I mean, I've been paying attention to um, the woman, um, I'm going to call her QAnon lady because that's what um, the people have been calling her on MSNBC. Um, they're trying to get her removed from all of her cabinets um, or all of her um, teams or whatever that she's on. And because, you know, do you know anything about this? No. Okay, so there's this QAnon lady. She's like a representative in Georgia. Um, and she has threatened another um, person in the house um she has called for the execution of uh, Barack Obama i think of Nancy Pelosi at some point Nancy Pelosi had to actually step in to re- um to move the woman i think her name is like Corey um i just don't want to get her last name fucked up but um she had to move her office because this lady threatened to like hit her to like hurt her this is like a white lady who's been like supporting the ridiculous like um conspiracies that QAnon comes up with um this belief that like the politicians are like a cult of like child molesters who are like lizards <laughs> at I've heart heard and that. I've heard that. Right. I think her name is like Marjorie um and I really wish I had had her name prepared but I don't really actually want to say it like Baltimore. Um <laughs> Baltimore. She's fucking insane and like the Republicans are refusing to distance themselves from her um and so right now msnbc and cnn are having this like long conversation about what that means for the republican party because they were at some point looking to get a little bit redeemable regarding um mitch mcconnell uh <laughs> actually making a valid point and even at some point um making it seem like he would vote appropriately for the impeachment but now things are all looking like they're in the air. He never like said he was going to go one way or another, right? But he did. Um, he just started sprinkle. sounding a lot more reasonable. Started to sprinkle some of that, like I might turn on this nigga. 
yeah. I might just. I mean, just... they called her a cancer because um, she's really awful. Like she's genuinely lost. They called her a cancer to the party. Um, but I mean, her constituents are going pretty hard for her. And it seems like the Republican Party is going to do everything they can to protect her. Um, really, really, really interesting to witness. So I'm going to keep um, keep looking at that. The next time I talk about this, I'll probably have a lot more articulate points about it. Like, I've been watching it all day, but I've been working at the same time. So I've only, like, gotten the main points without actually getting the verbiage. So I apologize that I couldn't articulate that for you guys in a better manner. I'm like, you do that because I don't know politics. <laughs> you tell us about the Karens and the um, Johns. It's just interesting because I know that, like, I mean, granted, I will say that um, CNN and MSNBC like to gas shit, but this is definitely an ongoing thing, and it is absolutely going to be a part of a larger issue um, as far as just, like, getting politics back to some sort of, like, realistic realm because right now they're so absurd like we're really talking about politicians who acknowledge QAnon not not just acknowledge it but don't like they don't distance themselves from it they're not choosing to condemn it they're actually entertaining it and at the point that that sort of like conspiracy infiltrates our government we're in a really huge shit show like this is a circus our politics are genuinely a circus right now and i can see the yeah. biden administration trying to sort of like reel it in and bring some more civility to it some realism um, and they're in a fight for that because Republicans are so, they've, they're so far down this road. I mean, this has been happening for so long that I think they are afraid that they will lose their base and therefore lose their political power if they yeah. actually get back to a realistic point. So that's where we are. Keep me up to date because uh, it, it stresses me out. I do, uh, these last couple of years, the politics have definitely stressed me out. I will say I've, I've became more involved in the conversation of politi uh, politics, politics, just because like I needed to know the importance of my voice. And then also like what is really happening that I'm not quote unquote aware of or think that I have a, a, a say in. So I think that um, these couple of years I've definitely oh. tuned in. You ain't got to say in this shit. We just got to sit back and watch what these motherfuckers going to do. I'll tell you that much. That's, that is all Congress. Um, that is all them. <laughs> I'm like, crap. But like I said, keep us up to date. We are get, going to get into the reason we are here today. League, we're going to talk about you. That is what we're here for. So first of all, please tell us, the audience, the listeners, who you are and just a little bit about your upbringing. Um, I always like to label myself as an extraordinary guy. Um, yeah, I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> <laughs> but I get it. Like extraordinary, but like just like extra, you know, little wordplay. Um, but no, uh, so I, yeah, DJ here in Columbus, that's how most people know me, but, uh, as of recently, I've been actually like, you know, making videos as well on my Instagram, making like kind of comedic skits. Um, and then also, you know, I run, uh, Just Breathe, uh, mental health focus group organization, uh, whatever you like to call it. So, uh, I've been DJing in Columbus for about eight, eight years, almost nine years now. Uh, started right when I was about 18. And ever since then, it's just been, uh, it's been good to me. Wow. Yeah. That's a decade. Yeah. <laughs> I've been DJing almost a decade. That's crazy to think. Yeah. Like, I was like, I don't, what was I doing at 18? I was like, child, I think I was trying to figure out where the fuck my life was going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I wasn't thinking about securing a bag, which is so dope that you found something that like, we all needed, we all needed DJs at an undergrad. You know, that was the best thing you could do. You 
DJ somebody's event, they pay you by the bing, by the boom, put a playlist together, make it, make it shape. Oh yeah. I wasn't even in it for the money at first. I just loved okay. I got into the club for free and I could get my homies in. Like it wasn't even about the money. It was more like the, you know, when you're younger, it's about clout. Then yeah. You learn about business and, you know, and money and things like that. But yeah, I mean, like when I first started, man, I was just, you know, happy to just be doing something that I never thought I'd be doing. And, uh, you know, I was doing it pretty well to get booked and people, you know, liked me. So I was, I was like, Hey, let's roll with it. But yeah, man, almost, almost a decade. And then, you know, as I get older, I'm just trying to get into different realms of life, just, uh, you know, expand myself. So, um, now, yeah, I don't want to say too much. I don't want to, you know, mess up any questions or anything. <laughs> no, we going to fast some other questions if you do. Honestly. <laughs> also, the clout thing doesn't end at childhood. Let's, let's uh, be yeah. clear on that. <laughs> I'm washed, man. I don't care about clout anymore. Yeah, so you're a reasonable person because all these other motherfuckers will be like 35 years old, still clout chasing with nothing to show for it. So. Here's what I'll say. When you're doing something and you're doing it right and you're doing it well, the clout will, you'll never have to chase it. I know that's right. It will come to you. No, that's right. If you, if you are really about that life, like I remember, so a short story in college, I wanted to like be get into like clubs and parties for free. So I told them I was a photographer. I said, I've been practicing all this shit, right? Got the most basic camera. Didn't know I needed to get like one that had like a lot flash on it. Didn't know I needed to get one that like, you know, could like be clear, all of that stuff. So I go into this party with this basic camera thinking I can, and I had to tell myself, y'all, I'm really not a photographer. I just, I wanted to say I was, but then ultimately I did perfect the craft. So in the beginning, I did it for the wrong reason. I wanted to like have clout. I wanted to say I get in the parties for free and I can invite all my friends. But then I forgot I also got to do the work <laughs> that they pay, that not pay me for that time. But <clears throat> excuse me, that is a short story about how clout almost like embarrassed me or humbled me. Oh, we can humble a bitch real quick. Trust <laughs> and believe that. Well, I'll give you guys a quick summary, like how I kind of got into the scene here in Columbus. So yes. uh, I was actually, I actually was supposed to go to the University of Tiffin um outside of uh, when i yep. finished uh, high school I supposed to go on a track scholarship i used to be a pretty good track athlete um but my mom and i kind of fell out and so i didn't know how to do all the paperwork and you know parent plus loans things like that so i, I withdrew you know just nervous about not having enough money so i ended up going to university of toledo um, but up to that point, I've been kind of dabbling with DJing, you know, the software, this and that, nothing serious. Um, so my friend Brandon was a rapper at Toledo. And so he was always hanging with this dude named DJ Scholar. And so I'm 18. They're all older. I'm at all the parties. I'm in the club. Like where I'm kicking it. I'm not even supposed to be out, you know, at these type of things. <laughs> so I'm watching how these dudes live and like how much fun they're having. Cause I come from like a like we used to go out, but like, you know, like now it's like you kind of more grown, you're doing it on your own type stuff. And so like I would see him DJing, like, I'm like, man, like the way this dude is can like controlling the vibe, like is so dope to me. I'm like, man, like he's playing all the songs, people is like getting high on my man. And I'm like, I wanna do that. And so like, you know, um before I was gonna figure out what I was gonna do, I I knew I didn't want to stay at Toledo. My dude found this little DJ board at Bed Bath Beyond. Like a little, it looked like a toy. <laughs> work, you know, work with the software. So I took that with me to Ohio Dominican and I started DJing, you know, in the dorm room on my little Bose speakers. 
Uh, roommates hated it. They're like, "What is this dude doing, man?" Like, you know, got this little. I was t- practicing my crime. That's what the fuck I'm doing. I'm making. <laughs> <laughs> we all make it. You feel right, We gotta practice. So, uh, you know, we used to go to Big Bar a lot, and uh, like one night, I was heavily intoxicated, and I tweeted at Big Bar, and I was like, "Oh, like Big Bar should let me DJ sometime." Like, blah blah, blah you know, just messing around. And then I get a message the next day from one of the uh, main DJs. She's like, hey, man, I saw your tweet. We could use some more DJs, blah, blah, blah. So to your point, I'm like, whoa. Like, I'm like, I, I don't know what I'm doing. So I messed him back. I'm like, hey, bro, like, I would love to do that. But I don't really know the first thing about DJing. Like, you know, I kind of just started. He's like, that's cool. Come in and shadow me. So that dude is actually, he's been like my be- one of my best friends for like the past, since I met him, we've been like, we're brothers like his I'm like his kids are like my little nieces and nephews and you know his wife like we're all like we're family um and stuff so after that just everything just kind of took off so I would just go I would go to big bar every week stand in the booth watch him he didn't let me touch anything I just (laughs) and then like you know one week you know down the road he let me get on the mic and then I start emceeing which was the best thing for me because that's the hardest thing anyone can learn how to mix and blend but mic work, mm. that's tough. Yeah. So I hate when people like those DJs that keep talking in between. Like, all right, I need y'all. I need a, how y'all feeling? We got shots at the bar. I'm like, okay, you need to know the timing. <laughs> like, know the timing of when to jump in. What is that about? Like, what is the like incessant urge to always speak? Is that like a tactic? And is it ever effective? I really must know. So some, it just depends on the ego of the DJ. Some. Okay. Some DJs, yes. like, some DJs are more like, like me, I love being on the mic, but in the right time. Right. You know what I mean? Some dudes, it's like, y'all gonna hear me. Like, y'all gonna know I'm here. Some dudes are like, you know, all about the music, you know? So I'm kind of like a mix of like, I want the music to take control. And if I need to get on the mic, I will. You know, if I got to shout out a birthday or, you know, if I, if I want to say something witty or, you know, I, I see somebody, oh, I see my boy, uh, uh okay (laughs) you know like you know just show some love real quick but i'm not about to talk the whole time like i don't have time for that like but then some promoters get on the mic and i'm just like bro please let me just dj like (laughs) let me just do my job so you uh you know yeah so you would would you say that you like self-talk yourself slightly like because i want to know so you did you self-talk yourself or you just like, I'm going to just shadow and learn? I would, I would say like me as a person and like as much as people love to compliment me and say nice things, bro, I am, I am definitely a product of everything I've soaked in. You know, obviously I've put my touch on everything, but I can't go through life saying like, you know, I, I did this. Like I've had so many just peers and lessons and, you know, wh- whether it's like peewee football coaches or, or teachers or, you know, friends or a stranger that, you know, when I first moved to Ohio State, this dude that, that lived next to me was a DJ, well, DJ as well. And his equipment was 10 times better than mine. So I would go over and practice on his stuff. And then mm-hmm. he sold me his equipment because he moved to New York. I never paid him, but he, he sold it to me. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't sell it, you stole it. <laughs> Wait, Man, I was working at Target. I thought I would be able to pay him. And then like, I just stopped messaging him back. But he, hey, <laughs> I was like nine, I was like 18, 19 years old. I'm like, bro, like, well, 
that debt has accrued interest. So <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I'm sure he's he's over it. He's probably good. You better hope. <laughs> yeah. But like even just like him letting me come over and like practice and like, you know, it's just been everything just been a building block, you know, and then meeting the dude from Big Bar and then having homies that worked at Gasworks to get me in that like that was one of my first solo gigs. So, you know, obviously like I put the work in and like I, I've right. stayed consistent, but um, you know, I would definitely watch videos and practice, but man, I, I, I can't sit here and say it's it's been all me. That'd be mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say I've been to one of your parties and it was it was lit. I I, I like DJs that know how to blend it, right? I was need, it pop I up? It was a Drake one. It was a pop up. It was like a Drake. No, <laughs> that went crazy. I remember because like I'm gonna be honest. I am very into. I when I go into spaces that are predominantly straight, I'm gonna just name. I am very intimidated with the vibe, the flow, what I can do. But you just made it fruit. It was free and fun, and I was like, oh, this is a vibe. Like everybody was vibing. Nobody was caring about when you can have the whole club dancing. Yeah, that's important to me. Yeah. I'm like, because I don't want to be the only one dancing. They see this big nigga dancing, having a ball. But it's like back everybody bent. back bent, <laughs> all happening. But everybody was doing it. Everybody was having fun. So I remember the Drake. It was a Drake pop up. I think it was like Halloween. No, it wasn't, it wasn't Halloween. Around. I think it was around that time. I think you were Batman. Yeah, something like that. No, I think oh. I had. I think I had like a, a cheetah or a leopard shirt on for that. Something one. like that. No, that's that's around, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was Batman. You're right. You're right. Yep. Um, I got a vivid memory. That was years ago. <laughs> I was like, it was a Drake pop up. I was lit. It was lit. It was a. What Batman year was DJ. that? It was last year. Probably like twenty. It was like recent. I know it was during college. So, I mean, last not college. Year. To last year. Yeah. Like twenty nineteen or twenty twenty. Uh, no. Sorry, 2018. It was twenty. No, no, no. It was 2018, 2019. 2019. Uh, right, like right in the summerish fall. Pocket. Yep. Because I'm right. Went. To, I was with Mimi. Cause I came down to visit Mimi. Yeah, that was because she moved. Yeah. Okay, we're not talking about her. We're talking that's, about you. That's why I love uh, hosting my own stuff. And I always say, if I own a club or a bar, I would have no bottle section, no VIP. Good. Why? Explain that to me. I mean, I have an idea, but I'd like for you to articulate it. So I miss. I'm a big everybody. No one's higher than anyone. Like obviously, like it's nice to have bottle sections, but I miss the days. Like I love house parties because we're all in here together. Yeah. Better than anyone. No one's showing money more than anyone. We're like. It's just a shared vibe. We're all here to kick it and have fun. So I always say if I own a club, I would let people, like, if it's a birthday or something, you could reserve, like, space. But I would never have, like, bottle section because I would want everybody to just be in there vibing and just have a solid, good-ass time. Like, just come in here, just dance, have a good time. Don't worry about getting a section and paying $300, Like, just come kick it, man. Like, I don't think we, we, we forgot how to kick it. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Connecting is, and I wonder if that'll get any better um, after the pandemic. Um, it probably is going to get want, worse. I was going to, so first I want to ask you, um, how has it been working during the pandemic? And then I'll have a follow-up question after that. Um, I'd say I've definitely been blessed to have worked as long as I have to have a foundation. So that's been helping me. Um, it's been, so I'll put it this way. I had about I had made a goal for myself to DJ like 25 weddings. It would have been the most I've ever done. I probably booked around like 18, 19 and probably could have got more. That's good enough. That's good. I think I did maybe three or four this past year. 
Wow. So that's good. Let's let's just say that uh yeah, I lost a lot of money. <laughs> wow. Um and then I was working with um I hate kind of going back on this, but you know, for the sake of the podcast, because I don't like to give it power. Yeah. Sound like, like upset. But I uh, that shit away anyway. <laughs> well, I had I had just started working with Ohio State uh, men's basketball as their in arena host. So I was doing the, the interviews, I was on the floor, fan interaction, um, then working with the crew, you know, I was their DJ, and I had just interviewed with the Columbus Clippers to be there in stadium um, guy too. So I would have been doing all the fan stuff. So I would have literally been working maybe a Tuesday night, Friday. I would have been literally working almost every night for like the, the, the crew, Ohio State men's basketball and the Columbus Clippers. And then on top of weddings and- and you That's know, money. Oh yeah, I was about to love Columbus Clippers and Ohio State. Like <laughs> that's money right there. I was I was ready to you know I was ready to pay off some bills this year. But <laughs> have you been able to book any um, virtual events at all? Has that been like an option for you? I'm not a, I'm not a big virtual guy, man. I'm a big um, you know I had some friends that we did one in the beginning of the pandemic. And, you know they all kind of shot me some donations, which was uh, very nice of them, man. So I appreciate that, but. It's just not the same for me. I'm a big, yeah, big interaction guy. So, so then, with that being said, are you in the talks or um, in the thinking stages of any like post-pandemic events? Just like getting that shit lined up. For sure, I got a lot of things planned post-pandemic. Even in the midst of that, you know, try to do some things safely. But oh yeah, once this is over, I don't even know. Oh. What, I don't even want to say over, but once we get that like kind of like yellow light, green light. <laughs> I'm getting to work, man. Like I'm yes. about to work. Like I've never worked. I miss it. I just miss working. Like I love to work, you know. So yeah. you know yeah. what? I'm interested in seeing how club promoters and venue owners um, revolutionize, uh, you know, safe gathering. So, like, finding an innovative way to have people connect with each other and then also remain safe because in a post pandemic world we're not going to be able to go back to the same habits we had beforehand yeah um, but i don't think that means it'll be impossible for us to like go out and party together so i'm I interested to see what are already kind of like pre-covid running like atlanta yeah. but here's the, there ain't safety precautions that's what i'm saying <laughs> Um, but imagine how how great it would be in a collaboration between yourself a venue owner and a, you know a party promoter coming up with these like cool intricate ways to have people connect with each other and still have that vibe and like create that um, atmosphere without you know like a room full of people breathing the air of like 10 people who have <laughs> covid or something yeah i think about like silent uh disco djing like it's just like people are you're like in a booth safe by all means and everybody gets headphones and they can hear what you're like silent uh -huh. silent dj how do you feel about that uh, I'm not the biggest fan. Didn't look like it. I didn't. It, it didn't seem like I was like he ain't buying it. He's like this is some like, lit loud. I like the room shake. I'm man. You gotta remember, I'm '90s, 2000s baby. Like mm -hmm. trying to, you know. I mean, like if it's like I'm at a festival, like I don't. I like them at festivals. It's different. It's like kind of outdoors, but inside, nah. I'm trying to be. I feel that. Okay. Because when I you take you. off, it is that weird thing though. Because when you take off the headphones, it feels like it's the weirdest shit. It is the weirdest thing. 
the movies romanticize it like the television shows and the movies make it seem a lot like litter than it is and like it is yeah. cool to have music in your ears and you'd be like oh shit like everybody dancing and then take your shit off and you'd be like oh okay oh i look stupid <laughs> right like that feeling is yeah. a lot more drastic than you think it is you take those yeah. earphones off and it really is like huh but i want to go and go into the conversation of how you grew up and things like that so you grew up in medina ohio Correct. Okay, I wanted to make sure. I didn't know if you and Mimi, whatever. How was that? How was like? How was growing up in Medina for you? Because I know that's predominantly white. <laughs> Look like it's funny. Like I've had this conversation a couple times. Growing up in it, you don't recognize what you're in. Mm-hmm. You don't understand it. You just, you know, uh, it's it's your norm because you get so used to it. But looking back, it's like, I man, like I was just trying so hard to just be accepted in two different spectrums. So for me, you know, my mom was very, like, we grew up in church. You know, we grew up going to Bible study, church every Sunday. You know, um, like, my mom made me wear, like, certain clothes. You know, like, I'd be dressed up for, like, sixth grade classes, and everyone else got, like, on Nike shirts, and they're all like, why are you so dressed up? (laughs) Especially being, like, one of the only black kids. And then, you know, uh, I got called a nerd a lot because, you know, like I used to dress a little bit nicer. I had glasses. Um, and then, you know, the saying, you know, uh, not black enough for the black kids. And what is it? Too too white for the white kids. No, not black enough for the black kids. And what the, like, not black too black for the, for the white kids. Yeah. It was one of those. I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> you know, I totally grew up, you know, I had like a lot of white friends and like I almost feel like they viewed as me like almost equal to them because like of how I talked and like how I acted and then like you know I had my black friends like most of the time like they're like my cousins because like we all kind of grew up in the same so it wasn't necessarily like I had black friends I just had black family so I was like yeah your fam um I didn't really get black friends till I got to college you know my sister will even tell you she thought when she came to visit me that she's gonna see a bunch of white dudes and she was like utterly surprised (laughs) But, um, you know, it's just, it was, it was tough, man. Like trying to just be chameleon, like, and just figure out like, where do I fit in? Like, you know, I know, like, why do you talk so proper? Like most, most black dudes that grow up in the suburbs go through the same thing. Like, why do you talk like this? Why do you act like this? Like, you know, things like that. But I will say that I made it work for sure. You know, I definitely, I didn't let things get to me too much. Um, and I credit that to my mom, you know, just instilling the right characteristics in me and, you know, just to be like, to what people say, you know, you know, mess up my mindset or mess up my character. So, uh, I got to give, you know, props to mom Dukes, but, um, yeah, man, I think, I, I mean, I was surrounded by, you know, some great people, but I, and as much as I hate to say this, like, it was almost harder for me to like, get along with my black counterparts than it was the white counterparts. Because I was judged a little bit more because of like how I acted, you know what I mean? Yeah. When I went to Toledo, it was a very uh, it was eye opening because Toledo is like hood. I'm from the burbs, so I got like you know niggas looking at me like, you know, it's good with you, bro. Like, like just like just heard a DJ. Yeah, you're kind of soft, bro, and I'm like. What? <laughs> I'm just here to DJ. <laughs> my first day, man, just trying to find my math class. 
Well, I know. I remember, like, actually, in my math class, I had all, like, all black classmates. And it was like, yo, everybody here black. And it was, a, that class was buck wild. And I'm, I'm, I'm sitting up there like, yo, this shit is crazy. It's like white yeah. kids, you know, it's quiet. And you got a couple bad white kids, but, yo, I'm in here, like, one girl, I, I vividly remember, like, one girl's phone goes off. She's texting her. And the teacher's like, um, sorry, like, you know, it's a white old lady. And she's like, you know the rules, like, no phones, blah, blah, like. And she's like, it's my mom. You want to talk to her? Like, you want to? And the teacher's like, and I'm like, oh, yeah, we can, we can do that? Like, we can talk to the teachers like that? Like, it was crazy, man. Like, very eye-opening, so. Listen, in black schools, I, like, I, I, was, I think I said last episode or episodes, white people in black schools fear us. So once we realized that in those spaces, we knew we could run whenever. We knew we wasn't learning anything that whole school year. When we realized you feared us. I don't know about if white folks do that in their classes. I know they're very obedient. But in our class, if you fear us, we already feel like you don't trust us. And you I don't, don't know about us. obedient. I'm here, I'm here to let you know. Because one thing we had at <laughs> Queen Anne's County High School was some badass white kids, child. I ain't want to put my whole little school government out there, but Where'd you go? I, I digress. Hmm? Where'd, you, where'd you go to school? It's in Maryland. It's Queen Anne's County High School. Maryland, yeah. Y- y'all a different breed. Oh! <laughs> They knew that water. They knew that water or something in the water. Like, I've, I've been to Cleveland. I've been to, you know, Cincy and, and Toledo. But, man, they said Baltimore is on a different level. Now, Baltimore is is, is its own place now. I, as, <laughs> I'm going to tell you one thing, okay? Baltimore and Maryland are very different. Yes. Very, yes, very different. Because PG right. County here is part of Maryland, honey. But PG County and Baltimore, no matter how similar they may be, are very different. They are. Did you growing back growing up? I know you had you were too black. You were too black for the white kids, and then too white for the black kids. Did you mm-hmm. ever feel like you had to? I know you like. Did you did you lean more to one? Like, did you feel like you just like catered to a certain? group like you just like fuck it I'm, I'm gonna just lean with them and rock with them i just felt like i was always me and like i just never really understood like why either side always said something like i just i couldn't i couldn't win yeah you know, i didn't win you know like my white friends would say something and my black friends would say something i'm like well i don't really know what to do like hmm. you know, i wasn't like i don't know i just it was it was weird man i just I felt like I was, like I said, I was always trying to be like a chameleon, you know, mm-hmm. trying to just like fit within whichever group I was kicking it with that night. Um, to an extent, you know, like whenever I went out with my black friends, like they would always like, I had, there's this running joke, even with my black friends now that like, if there was a fight going on that I wouldn't jump in, I would try to like, <laughs> I would like talk, I would try to talk to the people and like figure out what's going on. Me, like, yeah, I don't like to fight. Like, that's like, I'm not doing that. Like, you know I, don't, I mean, I don't see a point. Like, for what? This is why there are diplomats in our government because if everyone was pro fight, we would just be in wars all the time, no matter what. Yeah, so, it's gotta be someone to be like, okay, hey guys, there's some reason here to find. Let's, let's come to a mutual agreement, eh? I will, I'm X. I will say though, like. Like I said, I had a lot of family that was black, um, and then I had more friends that were white. So it was mm. kind of balanced. You know, like I said, most of the time I was hanging out, anyone that was black was usually like my family because Medina didn't have a lot. We didn't have a lot of black kids, mm-hmm. not that many. And um, 
and I and I hate to say it, but like a lot of the black kids that were in my school, like they would have them in like a certain class. Yeah, I believe that. They weren't up to par, you know. Thank God, my mom, you know, she didn't play about grades. You know, like they had academic issues, they had you know character issues. So like I didn't see too many of them. And then the other black kids that were in class with me, usually we're in the same type of you know uh, social status. I had right. one friend um, who I won't say his name, but. They, we went through the same thing. Like they would call him white too, like white black kid. And I'm like, we both like, bro, like what? <laughs> and this is all happening where? In Medina. So what were the uh, economic disparities there? Um, the socioeconomic um, disparities. So with race included. Um, I wouldn't say like, like our poverty compared to most other cities was like not as bad. We had a lot of people that came from down from Cleveland, you know, that would move. And I, I say that because I've seen, like, Columbus poverty. I've seen yeah. like, Cleveland poverty. So, like, Medina's wasn't, like, bad. Obviously, like, we definitely had, you know, um, you, know uh, you know, like, Section 8 apartments, things like that. But, yeah. like, to us, like, that's just, like, when you're black and, like, you go see your, your family, you're like... That's every day. That's enough. <laughs> yeah, you, don't look, you don't look at it as poverty. Like, yeah, like, your white friends have nice houses, but you're like, you know, to us, like, hey, at least you got a spot, like, you you know, we didn't look at it as bad, but um, definitely was, like I said, predominantly white neighborhood. I think I had one black teacher my whole uh, high school, middle school, elementary school career. One, you know, which is crazy, Mr. Bell. And then, um, you know, yeah, just uh, it was very, uh, it's, predominant, it's a very conservative state. It's, it's or not state, uh, county and city. It's voted red probably the past two, three elections. <laughs> So tell me what that moment was like for you. I actually would like to know if there is a defining moment where um, you were sort of, your consciousness sort of like clicked in. Because um, I'm aware of uh, your involvement with social justice issues. So I'm curious to know at what point um, your brain was like, oh, hey, there's, a, there's, a, there's an issue here. <laughs> um, I think I dealt with a lot of microaggressions. So it didn't really click in high school. Um, I, like I said, it just kind of felt like the norm, like to be called like, oh, like you're a white black kid. I'm like, all right, whatever. Like, mm-hmm. y'all, like y'all just, that's how you like, I didn't, I didn't see it as like an issue. I really didn't understand that kind of stuff until I got older. And I didn't understand how much of a problem it was until, you know, uh, around this age. So it was kind of just something I dealt with. And it's not like anything that we talked about. It's weird because, like, we didn't necessarily talk about race a lot at home because, like, my mom was big in the community. Um, Obviously, like, I did sports. But we just, like, the microaggressions almost felt like compliments. Mm -hmm. And you don't don't know it's not a compliment to get older. Yeah. It's like I'm not, I'm accepted, right? It's like I am, we're we're good enough. We're passing. We made it. We made it. We're not black, black. We're, like, black. It's like a, a that'll, that'll mess with your mental because then it, it <laughs> I mean, like that's, that's one thing I'm glad, like I didn't stay with my whole life because that's how you kind of turn on your own people. Mm-hmm. I'm not like, y'all, I don't act like y'all. Like I'm not with, because that'll like, well, you don't act like when white people tell you like, well, you don't act like the other black people, you know, you don't talk like, or you don't walk like, so you start to think, okay, like, well, I'm superior. Mm-hmm. I never thought I was superior. You know, I never thought I was superior. Like, I always wanted to be included and be inclusive. 
Yeah. Um, and it would bug me when I wasn't because, oh man. And like another thing that bugs me too, like I hate even to this day when people like, oh, you only mess with white girls or you don't like black girls. And I'm like, that's not true. Like that is not true. And like, I think that's just so disrespectful to say. Mm-hmm. It's like when you grow, grow up in a, in a school where there's maybe one, two, three black girls. That is a different conversation and not different conversation. I, where you grew up, sorry, I'm gonna let you finish because I was, <laughs> I was oh, you're, good. you're good, but it's like people don't understand like you, like you become a product of your environment. It's not that I don't date or won't date, but I didn't have a chance to. Or even when I, even when I was at Ohio State, people understand. My mom's like, hey, "Ain't no sisters down there." I'm like, "Mom, at Ohio State, not really." Like, and it's crazy to think that, but like, even at OSU, like, the black culture is like. Very um, as much as Columbus is diverse and it's getting there, like it's very still, it's not as inclusive as you would like it to be. And I'm starting to see that more. So, mm-hmm. yeah, what I was about to say was I had to realize that because I used to, I ain't gonna lie, when people, uh, black people would say they only date a certain race, I kind of be like, why, like what? And, but I think it was an issue was when you, when you start to. Um, discredit a whole like like black girls like when you start to do that like if you prefer white girls don't just don't say nothing just don't <laughs> say anything because then when you start to speak and start to spe- specify specific nooks and crannies of why you don't like black women it's like uh but then also i had to get into the conversation of people who like i literally didn't have the opportunity it was the product of my environment was white girls or there was black there wasn't no black man for me today so i had to date white guys you know it's like unfortunately it's that was my different too man like i've start. I, i've talked to more black girls now that i've been older <sighs> night and day <laughs> night and day it's mm-hmm. crazy not in a bad way it's just like it's just different you know so um yeah, yeah just growing bro i would date any race i would date a, a, an asian girl an indian girl i don't i don't really i'm not gonna say i don't see color i don't really like if you're a good person and like I'm attracted to you. I don't care like what ethnicity you are. Like I'm a rock with you. And that's mm-hmm. even like homies. Like if you're, I don't care like if black, white, Russian, like, I don't care. Like if you're good peoples, you know, gay, straight, if you cool, respectful, man, we can, you know, we can get mm-hmm. there. And like, that's how I've always tried to just treat everything. So like when people try to box me in and like, oh, you only, uh, you only date white girls or, Oh, I remember this one time, this dude came up to me at the club. I was DJing on a hip hop night. He's like, oh, I'm glad you con- uh, you finally decided to come out and hang out with the niggas. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I didn't say nothing to you yet, sir. <laughs> I just First, my business. He said to me, bro. And I'm like, that's the stuff I hate, bro. Like, you, like, the assumptions about somebody mm-hmm. because you see them in a certain vicinity all the time. And it's like, all right, bro, if you mm-hmm. felt that way, then invite me out. Then include yeah. you know? So, yeah, it's, we have horizontal oppressions, you know, in our community, of course. I, I've dabbled in it before. I ain't gonna lie. I've definitely, like I said, so. <laughs> I have, but I, I have questioned people like, bro, you you need to stay in the community. We need to enrich it. You need to, I was kind of a hotel. I don't know how it was, but. <laughs> you know, so I, because th- we've talked about interracial dating on this platform before. Um, and so as a person who would not also not limit myself about, um, 
regarding like who to date based on race. Um, I know that I have like a history of dating um, mostly, if not solely, black men. Because um, I didn't, I went to a PWI. So on top of there being mostly white people in general, the gay population was like this big. Um, so it was literally non-existent. So I just didn't date, <laughs> not date, did not date on campus. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So I understand, um, but I also do think, uh, and this is, I feel like every time we talk about this, I'm always going to say the same thing. It is always a relationship that should be examined. I don't know that there's a like particular decision that should be made about, you know, regarding that uh, examination, but our relationships with people, um, especially in pattern, should be examined. Yeah, I get that. Because when people date older, always it's a conversation prime example extremely prime older, example extremely older not prime example 28 and your partner's 30 if you're 28 and your partner's like 52 it's it's the mother figure or the father figure kind of conversation that always come into play that i'm always like what? but i I also think it says a lot about who you were able to relate to. So I'm interested, um, and I don't want to spend too much time on this subject, but I do want to just throw this little part of um, question out there. Um, you said that your experiences with um, white women and then with black women are different. Um, is it a difference in how much you relate to them or just in how you relate to them? Um, it's just like the type of energy that's there. Like, like black women have this very like... Um, how do I even say it? Like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. It's just like, I don't want to say aggressive because that's the wrong one, but it's just more of like a- Demand, like- like Assertive? Much assertive. Yes, assertive. I like that word, thank you. And then like, white girls are kind of more like- Submissive. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's a common, that's a common uh, description of the difference. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. Like I- uh, I've had, like, when I talked to a, a black girl, like, she told me everything about myself. She's like, the reason why we're not working out is because <laughs> boom, 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 boom. I'm like, damn, okay, then, like, all right. And then, like, white girls are kind of just like, is there anything I can do? Like, that's just something wrong. And it's like, because they'd be so excited. Yo, ass is black. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, y'all got me. Wow, a black man. I got me, but y'all, we didn't hit the quota. <laughs> Okay, so um, back in June, you led the Black Lives Matter movement in uh, Medina. Tell us about how that experience was for you. So very, I will say that week, the George Floyd week, was one of the most emotional weeks I've had in my life. Mm. Um, And I don't, I do know why. It just, mm, I think you see so many things happen on the news. And I don't know if it's like, okay, like that was like my breaking point. Or if I was just trying to block so much of it out because I'm like, man, like I'm just tired of seeing this, tired of hearing this. But like that case specifically, just like the fact that it was, they were able to put that on national TV, show us what happened. Cause like, you know, you, you hear about like the George Zimmerman cases, you, you hear about it, but you don't see it. So I think now in this technological world environment that we're in that we can see everything now you digest it a little bit different because you know like it's one thing to hear someone talking about you it's like oh man like whatever but when you can like see someone in front of you like talking about you like what's up man like I, I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> it's a whole different conversation energy so 
to, to see the video and to see like what happened and like how long it happened. Like it just, man, I didn't, I didn't leave my apartment for a couple of days. Hmm. I was sick. I was down bad. Like I was very emotional. Um, and then obviously the, I, I live downtown. So like I'm seeing cop cars go by every night. I'm seeing helicopters in the sky. So I'm very much in the, you know, uh, everything that's going on, you know, some people live in the suburbs. They see it on the news. I'm literally looking out my window and I'm seeing five, six, seven cars go by and I'm, I'm hearing everything. So I think the fact that like I was in it so much this year, like really just opened my eyes. And so I knew like, and I'm going to get to the Medina thing, but I want to touch on Columbus. I was going to a lot of the protests here and I've never been a big protest guy because it's a lot of hoopla, hoorah with some people. And then there's some people that are really there for action. Mm. A lot of things get, and the people with the loud mouths and the voices tend to kind of rise up against the people that are there for the right reasons. So I've always like been kind of timid about protests. Um, and then I started going to the Columbus ones. The first one I went to, I really enjoyed it. But then I'd be at the, the state house and it was just like a new voice emerged every day. One is F the cops, blah, 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 these pigs. And then one like, we should pray with the cops. And then, and then we're fighting amongst ourselves. And I'm sitting back like, you know, what's going on? And so I was like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to try to emerge as a voice somewhere where I might get drowned out. I want to go somewhere where I can make a difference for sure. And really bring light to what's going on. Um, and not saying like, I didn't, you know, we, we did do something in Columbus on a smaller scale, uh, some friends, some friends of mine. Um, and we, I think that was the best way to do it. But I, I saw that somebody in Medina was doing it. Actually, my um, my aunt's uh, husband is a pastor. Mm-hmm. They were doing something. Um, and then this uh, the Democrats of Medina or something were, do, were doing something too. So I was like, hey, like I'd love to come join. So they canceled it. So my, so my um, I'll get to that one, but my uh, you know, uncle per se, uh, pastor, they were doing one, but they were kind of like, you know, merging with the cops, you know, they're kind of walking with the cops. I said, my people, they're not going to do that. Yeah. They're not feeling that. I'm not feeling that. Yeah. Um, it's not the right move. Not It's like, it's not only is it too soon, but also it's just like counterproductive. If anything else, like these people, I, I, you know what? I'll get back to that later. Go ahead. I want you to finish. <laughs> um, so I was like, all right, I'll join the other one. And then they canceled it because a lot of uh, Trump supporters were like, we're going to come out there with our guns if this happens. And so they canceled it. Like, we don't want to cause any drama. We're, we're a little nervous. I said, well, bump that. I don't care about no guns. I don't care about no Trump supporters. I said, we haven't, we're going to have a protest. So I literally, my Facebook, I'm, I got a great following on Facebook back home, posted about it and instantly took off. People were like, let me know how I can help. And then, um, the police chief wanted to talk to me um, or I was like, I, I want to make sure I do this right. So they're like, hit the police chief up. I'm like, do I have to? Right. They're like, well, just, they're like, just reach out. So, you know, you can know the rules of the protest. Great. So he was great. He's like, Hey man, I appreciate you calling. He's like, we'd love to help, you know, just make sure you guys can do it safely. So as much as like Medina is very conservative, I will say there's some great people there that are, you know, uh, Caucasian. So we had a great phone call, uh, met up with him. They let us do, let us march in the streets, helped us direct the traffic, things like that. Um, but I, I hit Facebook up. I was like, hey, like we're gonna need water, we're gonna need volunteers. So one thing led to the next. People were, were Venmoing me money, twenty dollars, fifty dollars, hundred dollars. 
And so I'm at the store, I'm picking up food, people are bringing stuff. Um, I had people that were, um, you know, in, in involved in getting people registered to vote. They came out, we had people signing up to vote. It's a party. Man, I had to, you know, I had to bring the music, had a little <laughs> Let me get my DJ in real quick. <laughs> I had a little playlist. My sister and I, we kind of, um, I started off, she did some things. My mom led us in prayer. Um, so we, and then we had an open forum at the end. So we marched, we came back and I was like, hey, I don't want this to be, you know, just a, a march and you kneel. I was like, there's some issues here in the, in the community that we need to discuss. So for the next 30 to 40 minutes, people would just come up, tell their stories about how they've been, you know, uh, brutalized by police. I think that's the word, right? Brutal is that right? Is that a word? Mm -hmm. Brutalized by police, um, mistreated in school systems. People were crying. White people were coming up saying, I didn't know this was happening. I feel so bad. And, yes. you know, it was just like a big shock to a lot of people. I just, I sat down. I just let people come up and just get the microphone. I'm like, this is great. Ultimately, you did your part. You, you facilitated and orchestrated this environment that allowed people to feel comfortable enough. And I think that is very important as moderators or facilitators of movements is mm. when you are doing these things, it's not supposed to be performative. It's not no. meant to have you as the center of the conversation. And it's for you to allow others to have their voices heard as well, more so than yours. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, it went great. I've been trying to include just breathe and like stuff like in my community but COVID it's been tough and then just you know it's funny because and I, and I know we'll probably transition into just breathe but I've had like teachers from Cincinnati reach out that I, I'm, I'm friends with and like hey can you come down to my school and talk to my kids and this is like inner city Cincinnati and I'm like dang like it's crazy like my own hometown they know what I like they know I do this mm -hmm. and no one's no one is reaching out or being like, hey, like we, we need you to come back. But yet I have, you know, you know how it is when you're from somewhere, man. People they they almost take you for granted at some point. Yeah. But yeah. so yeah, um, but yeah, it went great, man. And I think it definitely raised a lot of eyebrows about what's going on in my hometown. And um I, I think it definitely helped a lot of people shift their mindset. So mm -hmm. So I um I wanted to ask if um there if it was a space for black people um to feel vulnerable enough to express their anger because I know a lot of people like a, a lot of us were like distressed and we were really sad but I think um one of the more prominent feelings I remember feeling within myself and then seeing of um the people that were at the protests here in DC um was so much anger um, and I think that there is a productive space, especially in places like this, to express that anger. Um, how much of that did you did you see being like released um, during the event? A lot. Yeah. Good. The people uh, that were black that came up, very emotional. Like Good. you could tell, like it was a situation where they never had a chance to really let people know what they had been through. Yeah. Yes. My cousin, my cousin came up and she uh, she said her piece and she talked about how. She she never got stopped until she came through Medina. Never got her car stopped. So she got stopped. They get her out of the car, harass her, like slam her on the car, this and that. And they say, oh, sorry, we had the wrong vehicle. And the vehicles weren't even the same vehicle. They literally just saw a black woman driving through Medina and just decided to harass her. And like, 
you could just you could hear a leaf fall in in the in the gazebo. People were just like, "What?" And you got to remember, the police department's there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so they're hearing this too. It's not just like you know we're saying this behind the like the police chief of Medina is in the crowd. Right. Who was it, Bob? Who was it? <laughs> hey, man, hey, a little neck scratching going on back there. But they're like, it was Jake. <laughs> right. So, you know, um, and then there had been people that were like banned from a certain community because of drug crimes that couldn't see their families that lived in that, you know, in that space. And like, you know, one guy came up, he's like, you know, it's, I don't think it's right that people that committed crimes eight, nine years ago can't you know, even be in this in this community where they got grandmothers and moms and stuff. You can ban someone from a community? Yeah, so... Um, my, Midwest. My uncle, White. my uncle was banned from... Um, so my grandma used to live in this uh, apartment complex and, you know, because he, you know, uh, sold drugs, they're like, if we see you on these premises... Oh, private property. Gotcha. No, I understand that. Okay. There was a lot of people that had, had cases, drug cases, yeah. in the city. They were like, "We see you on these premises. We're gonna come arrest you." All right, I'll, I'll take that one because you know you. Can but it was like nine years ago. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was how you ban somebody. <laughs> like you can't ban somebody from coming to a town. The fuck? <laughs> uh, it's like, like they have a tracker. They like got you. put a chip in them. Same way that you can ban someone from a from a store. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, I do want to. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Devery. No, <laughs> you no, you're good. You tell me about what Just Breathe is. I know our audience has absolutely no idea what Just Breathe is. Yeah, I love. Man, this is my baby. I love talking about Just Breathe. Um, and you better brag, okay? We tell people to brag. We yeah. we glor. Come on, go brag. Sorry. <laughs> oh, so, um, it's it started really like. I mean, personally for me, my mental health like took a huge toll when I got hurt in track. Um. More, more or less, I mean, obviously when I was at Toledo, I went through a lot because I kind of was just out there by myself. You know, I was like eating breakfast by myself, lunch by myself, like trying to figure out life. My, like yeah. I said, my mom, my mom had just kicked me out and I was living with my, um, my boy Hunter for the rest of the summer. So mm. like mentally, I'm just, I'm messed up. You know, like here I am, like I just finished school. I just won a state championship in the four by one, you know, got a job. And me and my, my mom kicks me out of the house. So mentally, I'm like, dang, man, like I did everything right. Now I got to go to this place where I don't know anybody. You know, I'm not, don't want to be here. I'm not running track. So like my mental had taken a toll there because um, my relationship with my parents was kind of screwy. So yeah. then I go to you. I'm like, man, I'm in Columbus. I'm about to run, brand new track team. Then I get hurt two years later. And like track career is like over. So like all my teammates are practicing i'm in the dorm by myself i'm eating dinner by myself again so it's like i'm that trauma of like what i went through is like starting to slowly isolating and like i'm just i'm losing sense of self because when i ran track in high school that became my identity the 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 dude that was good at track i was no longer the corny black kid you know now i'm got a little muscle on me got a little speed on me you know what i'm saying like I'm i'm going to state i'm in the newspaper um, so, you know, that was my, my sense of self, my sense of identity. So when I lost that, I lost a huge chunk of who I was. And so, you know, I'm seeing my boys practice. I'm seeing my boys at the meet and I'm just like, man, like this sucks, bro. Like, and I'm not getting better. 
not getting healthier. And then I had to quit because I, I quit. And then I, um, you know, transferred to Ohio State. So I, I got to this space, you know, where I was super depressed. And I was like, I don't want to feel like this anymore. So I want to say around my sophomore-ish year, junior-ish year, that's when I started getting into mental health. Like I'd start watching videos, you know, reading a quote every morning before class. And from there, I just, it's been a seed that's been planted. Mm. So um, I kind of start sharing things that I was learning, you know, via Instagram early on. And people really liked it. And I would share like quotes of the day, do jokes of the day, yada, yada, yada. <clears throat> so then I go to Ohio State, kind of lose that. Um, and then I move out to Arizona. And this is kind of where things pick back up. So I, um, I had got kind of more back into the mental health and, you know, I was sharing things on, on Instagram and people are, Hey man, I really love when you share stuff. Like it's making my day, it's helping my day. I was like, man, like how cool would this be? Like if I could like get people together in this aspect, like it's nice that, you know, I can do this virtually, but like how cool, like would it be to have this in a space because I'm, I'm starting now I'm seeing that like, it's not me. Like what's going on. And so one day I'm in my kitchen in Arizona and like life is just rough. Like I'm not DJing, I'm hating the job I work at. Like bills are coming in, like things like that. And um, I'm cooking dinner one day and I'm just so just all over the place. Like food's cooking fast, like things are happening. Like, and I'm just getting real worked up. My anxiety's kicking in. I'm just like, I'm like, dude, like just like take a second like, and like just breathe for a second. And I was like, oh my gosh. I'm like, that's it. I'm like, just breathe. I'm like, that's, that's what I want to call the group that like, I want to get together. Like, and it was just like a godsend. And um, I told myself when I moved back to Ohio, I wanted to start that group. And I talked to my boy zero. I was like, Hey, when I come back, we got to do this. Like, we got to get people together. And so I moved back, put in, put into the universe. And the first meeting was at Woodlands. My dude was a manager and I wanted it to be like a casual thing, kind of cool, casual, like, Hey, you can come like grab a drink. We'll talk about mental health. Wasn't the right environment. It was like kind of loud and like drinking and like, yeah, I was like, eh. I was like, so let's find a different place. So that's what led to us doing at the apartment complex. And um, I just like, man, like it was something that was so near and dear to my heart. Like I was like, I have to do this right. I can't lollygag with this because like, if I'm going to really try to reach people, it has to be done correctly. So that's like when I would, I would make slides, pick topics, things like that. Start at the Instagram page. Um, and I just started studying more about mental health. And then like, we had that first, that second meeting and like, I was like, okay, like this is something like, this is something <laughs> that like, you know, um, we got deep and like, I could just feel it in my spirit. Like that second meeting, I'm like, this is it. Mm -hmm. is like what I'm supposed to be doing. And, um, as things picked up, I remember like one meeting, like I got real, like super emotional, just like leading it. And like, that's how I really knew. Um, but yeah, it really just came off of me just really wanting to help people get from like where I had been from and seeing that other people were there too. And like just getting from mindset A to mindset B. Cause I know how I felt mm -hmm. in that depressed state. I'm like, so I can only imagine how other people feel. So I'm like, man, like let's just, you know, get through this together. But um, yeah, I think we're going on like year, year three. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. So started with a thought in Arizona and before COVID, I mean, you guys know we were getting like 20, 20 people at a meeting. Yeah. Um, and then COVID kind of messed that up. And so now like we're going virtual. Um, but yeah, I've talked to, I've, I travel to schools 
Um, I talk to students. Now I have a Just Breathe High School edition with this uh, school in uh, Cincinnati. So we have a little group me and, you know, I, I kind of, you know, I'm trying to help the kids kind of get to a good mental space. We just raised, I need to check it. Uh, so far we've raised $1,500 for a student who has two kids um, and is like living on, on. So we're going to pay her rent. <laughs> we're going to pay her rent for the whole year. Wow. That's what? So she can focus on, on that. Nice. At fundraisers. Uh, we've done a social distance 5K. The winners got to pick their charities. So $500 were, were, was donated to nurses during COVID. <laughs> and then went to a food bank. How um, many people are, are behind this now? Um, and how quickly did that grow? Uh, it's, it's growing. The Instagram is doing a lot better. I've been like trying to really make it, you know, like a job. We got like 770 followers. Um, but I want this. My goal for this is, you know, make it a nonprofit have a, you know, a space in Columbus to where we can have meetings and events all the time, you know, implement it. My big goal is to implement it in school systems, almost like a club where we can groom leaders, help them with the topics, train them up so they can lead it. Yeah. And, then, you know, it's something that they do like every other week. And it's like, I can just check in like, Hey, like how's just speed going at, you know, uh, Columbus, whatever. No, oh, it's mm -hmm. going good. We got 10 kids that come regularly. Cool. And then like, you know, bringing in maybe to the corporate space. But, you know, I want this to be something that, you know, just explodes and like it really just becomes a space where people can come and talk. And it's not a lecture. It's mm -hmm. really like a space where we can just discuss. So we go for it. I'm, I'm actually over getting like emotional because like I wish I would have had something close to that when I was younger because like, I felt isolated at times and I would feel like I just needed spaces to just breathe or just like talk about, you know, life or like learn that is okay as a, as a kid or just as my young that like your mental health is very important to you. So like I'm over here getting emotional thinking about this. I'm like, this is something that I would have loved to be a, like to be in. And I love these type of things, i.e. why I create this podcast is like, I just want dialogue, you know, dialogue. I don't want just dialogue, but dialogue is the start to, you know, progression. So hearing about um, Just Breathe and also what I would hear from Mimi is like the conversation that would be in there and how it was inclusive. That's one thing I think is very important for me in these spaces is as somebody that's queer, um, a queer black, black man going into these spaces where everybody's identities are incorporated, feeling like I also had a space in there as well. And like I, it was quick. It was a space that felt like that. And I was like, okay. I was like, better have my voices in there too. I would never tolerate like any, and for the most part, it's been great. We've had, everyone's kind of been there for the same reason. And like, once you kind of catch the vibe, but like, that's one thing I will never tolerate is disrespect. We can have difference of views within like how to handle things maybe, or we can bounce ideas off, but like that's one thing that like will never be tolerated is like disrespect. If you don't understand something, educate yourself or ask questions. But to disrespect it, never. That'll never be tolerated. So I appreciate that. I also appreciate how instrumental it's been in people's lives. I think that like the fact that you and there's something beautiful about taking your own pain um and not only determining that you're going to change it for yourself but then taking those skills and taking those um strategies and allowing other people to benefit from them there's something noble and I, I think that's our job right like i mean I, I guess i shouldn't put this expectation on people but when we find a way to overcome our own trials i think it is ideal that we 
teach other people how to do the same if they can. I think also importantly with black men, and I wanted to touch about that as well, is I think that the conversation of mental health, also also I wanted you on here, Alik, is because like it is not something that I feel like is always casual in our brotherhood, right? It's not in spaces. I do see it where I, as a, speaking from my own experience, I've heard it more in queer spaces. Um, and when I would be in space, when I was with, play basketball, and when I played like uh, ran track and things like that, I didn't think it was okay to talk about like how I was feeling in those spaces. So I was like, I appreciate that. Where was I going? I'm so sorry. Black men, got it, got it, boom. Men are having this conversation and helping facilitate that because we have issues, it's still period. Not, and we still got a long way to go. Most people would just breathe. It's very female dominated. Mm. It's great. You know, I, I, we love our women, but like, got to get more men in there. It's always, even at the high school level, it's me talking to like 15 high school girls. And then- yeah. Like what? the last one we had, like the one guy, like he was a, a young gay black man. I'm like, yo, where's all the? I'm like, where's the the boys at? But so know. tell me, tell me, what do you think you guys are gonna have to do? Because I mean, especially I black men, men are not excited to talk about their emotions. If and I've talked to a lot of grown men who feel like the minute they start talking about their emotions is the day that people stop respecting them. So what do you do to invite men into a space where there are women present talking about their emotions? Um, I think you just have to keep knocking on that door and just, you know, planting seeds. That's all you can do. You can't change people who don't want to change. So mm-hmm. um, I think I think one thing, too, is like to have, you know, I have a lot of ideas for Just Breathe, too. Like one's to have a men's only, you know, kind of like a brother. That is OK. And that is OK. <laughs> it might be necessary if we're being completely honest. I'm telling you, men are so like hesitant to share their emotions in front of women. Fragile. Like one thing yes. about me, like yes. talk about my emotions anywhere fragile but some men are just like so fragile that's true it's so true especially black men like we're very like yeah very fragile i i'm thinking and this is me obviously off off the top of my dome was infiltrating a space that is predominantly like trying to meet one of the coaches right and seeing if you can have one of the study halls as a space where you come in and speak about just breathe right or having like weekly spaces where the athletes can come in and be like, okay, after the game, you know, the day after the game, how are we feeling, right? Let's start to talk about, and I'm giving ideas, I don't care, how to talk about it after, like, tie it back to what they like, right? And then gradually get into, like, okay, let's talk about your real, the real root of it, right? Let's do sports, you know, the girls, how you feel about her playing you or how you feel about the game, but then let's go a couple weeks into it. Now let's talk about you. Right. The reason I'm here is for us. And I think that is something that's important, especially specifically in high schools and also with like us is you gotta find a way to like mani- not manipulate but like cater, but then eventually shake the shit the way you need it to be. <laughs> I mean so. man, man, like pick yourself up. Like, you know, if you're going through it, like and it's and like one thing I've been focusing on is reprogramming my mind. And yes. We, and this will definitely be a just free topic, but it's like our, our brains are like computers. And if you got a MacBook, but you're still running on like, you know, an old updated, <laughs> your computer starts to run a little bit slower. It starts, mm-hmm. it doesn't work the way it's supposed to work because it's supposed to be updated. So a lot of us are living in a traumatized state and we need to update our minds. So now like we're not. We're not thinking how we should be thinking. We're not acting how we should be acting because we haven't decided to update 
how we think and how we act. And like for me, like that's why I feel so much better because like, you know, I'm clicking that update now, but like I was refresh. Right. I'm trying to refresh, but a lot of a lot of our men, like we're still stuck in that so masculine. And the thing is, people understand it's harder to talk about how you feel than to act tough. It's yeah. mm-hmm. tough. It's harder to to open up and let somebody, you know, because because there's fear there (laughs) one is a performance and people can like hide in performances but like exposing yourself is just fearful it really induces fear and there's also a thing about healthy masculinity as well that needs to be discussed more and talked about more is like it is okay to you know have pride in things or you know want to be a protector when it comes to the extremities of you you know belittling others or feeling like sub- subconsciously pushing down how you really feel that's when it becomes an issue like i like i'm somebody i can say i want to be a protector with a partner with family like eventually i want to do that i don't think that's a bad thing unless it gets to a point where I feel like you can't do anything without my help, right? Or the conversation of um I want to, you know, be at the a leader, right? Like, but also be able to follow as well. So I think it's that the conversation of health and masculinity needs to be reiterated in these spaces. But then also I think we just like you said, Devin, um Alik is the kind of, like masculinity is too fragile in their mind space that we need to like help fix that. You know, an update. The update is like we are all growing, right? None of us are perfect. None of us are expertise on mental health or masculinity or what have healthy masculinity look like with generational, the generational black men. <laughs> like we are learning as we go. So it's the importance of continuing to the update. I think that's the perfect analogy to continue to press that update because I, we're learning. Like I say, I I am not perfect. I will make my mistakes. I will accidentally say the wrong pronouns. I will mis- like say the wrong thing in certain spaces, but it's the fact that I am trying to admit the wrong, apologize, and then also progress in a space where that is those re- those errors are limited so that it's not an issue continuing on. I have a question for you. Uh what can we do to support uh just breathe? Um and just just keep spreading the word and uh I mean obviously come to to meetings like like I have a lot, of, like I said, I have a lot of ideas. Like I want to have a, like a ladies' night to where it's like, you know, like I'll probably be there because I'm leading it, but I just want to like sit in the back. But no, that wasn't a hand raise. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Devin, this is new. <laughs> so what are we doing? But like, I want to have like a night where like the women can just come talk and like have their own like just breathe, talk about things they're going through. Um, then I want to have you know. Um, a night for the, you know, the gay community to, you know, come together and, you know, talk about things that are going on within their community. Like I want everyone to have their space. And then like, at some point, you know, include people that aren't in that space to that space, you know, so just a bunch of different things. I want to have like single parents night. Like, Hey, if you grew up with a single parent and you feel like you're struggling like with that, or your parents are divorced, come to this meeting. Like it doesn't have like mental health is so there's so many different things that can affect you and, and people have to understand, like, it's not just like depression, anxiety, you know, it's growing up in the suburbs with white kids only. It's growing up with an abusive dad. It's growing up with mm-hmm. an alcoholic mother. It's growing up with, you know, being a foster kid. Like there's so many things that traumatize us that we just don't talk about, but we have to understand like there's so many people out there just like us that are going through the same thing. So it's like, 
if we can just learn from each other and just kind of like connect, like we'll always have someone to, I just, I just want to be like a dot connector. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'm not a foster kid, but you know, Joey over there is like, y'all should get together. Like, you know, and then like, you know, just kind of groom like connections and relationships. So, but yeah, just, uh, you know, just support, spread the word and just, you know, be an advocate yourself. I think yeah. that's the biggest thing is like, just, you know, uh, if we can get more people just to advocate for it and speak up, speak up about it, then, you know, I think we can really make some change. So I'm going to do that in any way. I'm going to do that <laughs> anyway. Do that that's, anyway. How <laughs> that's how we are. <laughs> well, um, thank you, uh, Leek, for coming on to the show and speaking. I appreciate this conversation. I, um, to be transparent, I w- wanted more heteros. Um, straight men in our conversations we've had spaces we've had straight men on the on the platform but i believe we should have more voices being heard on this space and um it is okay to come on ask questions to us also we ask questions to you we don't want diversity man like i said i love having you can tell i get excited about this kind of stuff so. and we love it <laughs> when we know you're excited we know it's good yeah. But uh, where is this? What um, social medias can people follow you and Just Breathe on so that they can continue supporting? So uh, Just Breathe is underscore Just Breathe one, um, and then I'm uh, underscore Leak official L E E K, um, and yeah, I, I'd say Instagram is probably the best. That's where I do most of the stuff. You know, Twitter mm-hmm. kind of just like for fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and then. Lastly, what would you tell your younger self, knowing about mental health now, knowing about the importance of your identity? What will you tell who you were, that kid that was in the cafeteria? Oh, nothing. Like, because without all of that, like, I would not be sitting here having this conversation, you know? So I think the fact that I had to go through, you know, my mom kicking me out, going to Toledo, you know, uh, hurting my hamstring, and then... I didn't even get into the Ohio State story. I was on academic probation for like two years, you know. Yeah, yeah. I've had that. I've had a semester, <laughs> I had a semester of academic probation. Good run, long journey, you know. So, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell him anything, man. It's, I think now I understand that that's what shapes you, like that's what makes you. So, like I think people are so ashamed of their failures, but yeah. not me. I'm, I'm proud to tell you, like, yeah, I mean, I was on academic probation, and I ended up being. Uh, I was supposed to speak at commencement. I was supposed to be like the commencement speaker, but I didn't get my, the, my um, TA didn't submit my grade fast enough. And so they're like, well, we don't know if you're going to be uh, eligible. So like they, uh, they stripped me, but yeah, I was that same kid. That same kid who didn't know where he was going to go to school. And then like, I'm speaking at commencement at Ohio state. It's like, you know, it's like something to be proud of, you know, it so is. You just take your failures and, and grow from them and learn from them. Just understand like they're there to shape you. Because if life was perfect, like it'd be boring. It would be so boring. Boring. No, I, I love being gay. I, I just tell him, keep going. Just keep messing up. You'll be all right. <laughs> keep fucking up. Just keep going. <laughs> You're going to learn from it. Uh, thank you. So um, if you all would like to keep, well, well, sorry, that was a weird transition. Thank you so much, Lee, for the conversation and also the platform where people can follow and uh, support you and just breathe. But like you always all know, if you would like to continue the conversation with me and Devin, um, you can hit me up on my Instagram and Twitter at underscore Lord Every. That is underscore L-O-R-D-E-V-R-Y. And you guys know you can catch me on Instagram at Derwin King. That's D-E-R-W-I-N-K-I-N-G. And on Twitter at Free Negro. That's F-R-E-E-N-E-G-R-E-A-U-X. 
And if you all would like to continue the conversation with That Black Boy Joy, you can hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at That Black Boy Joy. And if you would like to be a guest or write into the show, you can hit us up at That Black Boy Joy podcast at gmail.com. And of course, please watch our YouTube uh, visuals. Check our YouTube out with the visuals of our podcast. Um, we'll, they will be updated soon, but um, we just wanted you all to check that out as well. And like we always say, please be so in love with who you are. Bye.